Hello and welcome to Marketing Connected. I am your host, Janice Tan. Each week, we will speak with industry leaders on pertinent topics in the marketing and advertising scene across Southeast Asia remotely. Our guest for today is Jackie Lim, Group CEO at Havas Group Singapore. Jackie joined Havas Media Group Singapore in 2015 to lead the operations and was handed the role to oversee both creative and media in 2018. Today, Jackie tells us what it's like double-hatting the role of media and creative head, and she also debunks the myth that media folks aren't that great in taking on creative units. Jackie also talks about how Havas is riding through the COVID-19 pandemic and remaining nimble. Hi Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's been very exciting, um, especially because, you know, fundamentally creative and media are so intrinsically linked. You know, uh, I've always understood media, uh, that's my background, right? Um, that it's always about investing against our strategy and creative is an expression of the strategy. So now that I'm being um, given the opportunity to drive the union of both, uh, over the last two years, um, it, it has been amazing, you know, because I really bought into the Better Together vision from Havas, where, you know, the, the bottom line is that a great piece of communication can cannot be created in silos. So, you know, to put it simply, the outcome is always bigger than the sum of its parts when you unify both components um, seamlessly. So, you know, what we have here in Havas is that we call it the Havas village, right? So it's a very affectionate way of uh, terming um, the way that we work, where we can put, you know, the client's needs at the very center of what we do. So, you know, what really drove me um, to take up that role when I was approached to, you know, um, take on the role for both creative and media was um, I understood a lot of clients uh, feel quite frustrated when they suffer the brunt of having creative and media agencies driving different agenda in a room. So, you know, all parties are trying to protect their turf, their revenue, fight for a larger share of the budget. So, you know, the whole village concept allows us to kill this kind of siloed thinking. It allows the teams to work side by side as often as clients need us to and to truly build what we call discipline agnostic recommendations. So it allows us to be 100% client-centric uh, and to focus on solutions that the clients really need irrespective of whether the budget goes to media or creative or to social. So you can be a lot more objective in managing the client's budget. So it's been very exciting because it's very different from uh, the time when I was uh, a lot more focused on just purely the media solutions. What was the most challenging aspect of taking on a creative remit? I would say that when it comes to unifying the way they work, because, you know, the, uh, the media folks, right, for example, uh, and I don't mean to generalize, but having been in the industry for so long, I think mm. I, could, I could put a bit of a structure around a, a media persona. The media folks tend to tackle, let's say, a mammoth pitch task or a strategic brief, right, in a very structured, very data-driven manner. And it appeals a lot to, I would call, strong rational thinking. You know, whereas the creative ideation process has a little, a bit more of a free flow element to it. It's an iterative process. So like a good creative idea or a brilliant idea, it doesn't simply get born because you need it urgently or you need it in time, you know, mm -hmm. for a first or second internal review. You, you can't force a, a creative spark out you know, using timeline as the only guide. So what's important is that in the creative process, you need to give a very solid brief. 
give them an idea of the kind of timelines they're working towards to make the magic and a lot of space and a lot of room to take it from there. So then the internal checkpoints uh, between media and creative is to really use those checkpoints as forums to tease out further those ideas that have potential, right? And then thereafter, you have to get media to adapt, evolve, and augment the plans to ensure that it's watertight, you know, as a watertight fit with the creative idea. So mm. I would say it's very different processes and ways of working. So when you try to go for an integrated pitch that has creative and media, the focus on trying to find a kind of cadence and a, a kind of synergy in the way that they work together is the biggest challenge, I would say. Right. Okay. So on that point, what is one thing you wished you knew before taking on the creative remit? I would say that the creative process, that towards the, you know, sometimes the best ideas are born truly, really, really, really at the last minute. So I would say that um, because we tend to be uh, uh, a lot more structured, right, especially on the media side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it gets a little bit chaotic when something great comes out only at the last minute and you only have a few hours to put it together. So, you know, uh, rallying the, the team and getting them mentally prepared for that last minute dash, right, to, to still finesse the work, I think, was, a, was quite an eye-opener, but I'm quite used to it now. <laughs> Do you have any tips on how to overcome that? I think that, you know, when it comes to working closely and unifying two processes, or rather like two groups of talent that have different backgrounds, right? Be it creative, media, social, or even technology teams. Um, there are a few house rules in place. The first is that egos just need to be parked at the door, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first rule. Uh, regardless of which division you come from, which specialized team you come from, you know, egos must be parked at the door. Um, so no one should take offense because there's a difference in opinion or that an idea that's being shared uh, doesn't seem to resonate well with the people within the team. Uh, two, that nobody's too junior to offer a point of view uh, and contribute in a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think three, you know, opinions uh, matter, but they matter less than facts. So anyone who wants to voice uh, a perspective, please be prepared to justify it with clear rationale mm -hmm. uh, so that, you know, we take the emotions away from, from the discussion sometimes and allow for people to fall back on facts, which should be the right way to guide our ideas and our solutions. And I think uh, for us four, it's really about consumer insights, right? Um, that we need to be guided by clients' objectives and insights that are built by our strat team. So even if someone comes up with a fantastic creative or a fantastic media idea that's very interesting, it may not get chosen or selected simply because it doesn't answer the brief or the objectives. And so the, the criteria for selecting what gets through into the, into the final recommendations need to be very clear. And I think the most important point is that there should always be one referee in the room whom all the people respect who will play the role of the mediator uh, as well as make all the tough calls. Because otherwise, this, these discussions could go on forever and you, know, you, you won't even be able to make a call and move on with your final recommendations to the clients. It is said that media folks aren't that great in taking on creative units. Earlier on, you also mentioned that you know, media folks use strong rationale thinking, whereas for the creatives, it's a more iterative process. How did you tackle this? I think there's a lot of generalization um, and siloed thinking that still exists in the industry. So, you know, in fact, I feel that um, having a media background has, you know, benefited me in this role quite a bit because the context of marketing has evolved, you know, and so has the convergence. So the lines are not so clear right now between creative or media 
or even social or content, for example. So mm-hmm. like in today's day and age, right, data and insights are core to the media function, but it also has a very direct correlation to the creative output and even the direct correlation to emotive selling sometimes. You know, the best way to tackle this is to show the proof in the pudding. So when creatives, they have seen how leveraging on data and tools have produced uh, much stronger insights that better guide their campaign briefs. Uh, they have also seen how data can be used to better understand what worked and what didn't work uh, and mm-hmm. to learn from there and to, to, to finesse the creative ideas. And media folks in, in return, they have also seen how much more convincing and complete their media plans can be uh, when clients can actually see their media ideas coming to life, you know, in the form of either a manifesto or in the form of a content piece or even like clever copy. So, you know, and once both the media folks and creative folks can see the augmented output, right, of involving the other team, uh, there's really very little that we need to do to further convince them. You know, it's always about showing the proof in the pudding. With so many years of media experience, having been at Mindshare, OMD and Zenith before this, what do you think this enables you to see when working on creative briefs? I think right now the difference would be when a creative brief is being presented um, to us right now. We try our best to look at how a piece of pure inspiration, for example, can be further augmented uh, using a lot of the data on consumer insights and research right? that will help to strengthen the power to convince clients Mm-hmm. When, when the creative team actually goes in with a great idea. So it, it gives me a, a deep appreciation of the value of data, um, the power of research, and the belief you know, in learning from past campaigns you know, and, and, and results and optimization work that was done. You know, by incorporating this into the creative process, I feel that now clients see that it's, the thinking is holistic. You know, I've been to quite a number of meetings, even for creative presentations or pitches, where clients ask um, very business-centric questions. So yes, I love the idea. I think it's great. We're on the right track. But you know, uh, I want to know, uh, does this, uh, how, much of it, I mean, how many percent of my, of my target audience you know, will this piece of creative be speaking to? You know, so understanding um, audience architecture audience segmentation, audience sizing, and using that to build like the size of the business opportunity um, and using it as a way to, to justify why you craft your creatives um, directed at a specific segment more so than the others will also help in the selling process of the creative idea. Mm. And I think that that is truly a, a differentiator for us right now because it's really refreshing for clients to see that creatives are very comfortable talking about numbers now. And that they have a very business and commercial uh, mindset uh, while, you know, uh, while their core is, you know, creative ideas. How involved are you in creative pitches and briefs? In terms of involvement, uh, I would say it depends on a case-to-case basis. So, you know, I don't believe in micromanaging the team uh, because I don't think that brings out the best in the team, especially if you have a very good or strong, you know, senior talent uh, in the team on the creative side. Uh, I would say that, you know, I won't be involved in every creative brief because that might be too stifling for the team. But if there is a significant business opportunity for us, uh, be it in terms of the size of the business or in terms of its uh, strategic importance, or if it's an, uh, say, an expansion of an existing relationship that we, we have with them, say, on the media side or on the social side, 
or if I feel very strongly about that category or have a, have a deeper understanding of the brand uh, because uh, I know the clients or I know the brands, I've worked in that category before, mm-hmm. I would definitely get uh, a lot more involved in, in not just the briefing, I would say in the, in the entire review process and, and playing the devil's advocate um, because I would tend to take on a more commercial view to ideas that are being shared with me. So I don't, I'm not tainted by, by the feeling that, okay, I came out with this idea, so I'm going to defend it to the hills, right? So whoever that, that presents an idea, you know, I could take on a more uh, commercial hat, like play the role, try to play the role of the client in um, directing questions to the team so that we can finesse the idea even better. You've been in the ad industry for close to two decades. How has your journey been, Jackie? What has changed since you started and were there any surprises along the way? I think when I first started in a media owner role, actually I was in a publisher role uh, working in outdoor, you know, so I, I would say that that was my first foray into, into the advertising industry. So it was, it was interesting because I learned how to take care of operations, manage uh, timelines, understand about sales and how revenue comes in and the cost outlay and all that was fantastic because the project management experience was phenomenal and it opened doors for me to move into the agency world as well. Uh, when, when I moved out and joined uh, Mindshare um, uh, back then, so, you know, the foundational training and all was, uh, was amazing. You know, I've had very good um, mentors uh, along the way. I was lucky and very blessed to have the guidance and the, the opportunity given to me by a couple of veterans and, and mentors who have helped to, to shape my thinking and my approach and help me grow basically as an individual and as a leader mm-hmm. um, to, yeah, to be able to, to take on an opportunity today where I can, you know, uh, manage both the creative and the and the media operations. Yeah, mm. so yeah, I would say it's been it's been great. You know, a, a lot of learnings, but uh, I would say more more happy happy times. <laughs> no dramas, at least. I mean, even if uh, you know most of the challenges um, were taken in stride because of you know I would say this really putting the right mindset. You know, rather than to let um challenges get us down. I mean, we've been through quite a number of, I'll say, rounds of financial crisis and, you know, economic downturn. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, you know, we just have to be resilient and adaptable to, to the speed of change happening mm. around us. Talking about financial crisis, business has been tough for everyone. A lot of network agencies have announced furloughs, job cuts and pay cuts. Havas, however, has not yet made the news concerning cost-cutting measures. Why is that so? And what initiatives are you taking to tight through this period? I would say, you know, yes, you know, it's a global crisis and of huge proportions. And I think business has been tough on all levels and everywhere. So agencies, you know, definitely uh, being part of the ecosystem, being part of the eye of the storm, definitely um, business has been impacted overall. I wouldn't say anyone would say that their business hasn't been. Um, But I think as a group, we have made a collective decision to look at forward planning as a priority uh, and to really try to avoid making knee-jerk reactions or responses to, to the crisis. So yes, of course, you know, the landscape is challenging. The, the future can be uncertain, right? The, the rate of recovery is also, you know, uh, as good as anyone's guess right now. But mm-hmm. uh, we believe that, you know, a healthy business should at least be able to ride through uh, short periods of challenges and storms, right? So, of course, if these challenges are sustained, 
for a much longer period or if the recovery does not happen within reasonable time, then I think like everyone else, you know, like every other business, we will have to think of the right ways to adapt the organization. Uh, we would also need to make decisions on where uh, optimizations need to happen and where investments need to happen as well. And we look at a timeline of maybe, you know, uh, what is right for the next uh, 18 to 24 months rather than taking steps or actions that will only impact us for the next 18 weeks, for, for example. And I think in terms of measures, like everyone else, um, the, the, the right thing to do is to tighten our discretionary spending. I think everyone has done that. Uh, so Havas is not uh, any different. Um, but I think where we have put in a lot more of our time and effort is on two areas. Uh, we have stepped up a lot on our learning and development. So whether it's in terms of rolling out online training courses for all our people uh, within the village, you know, um, that I think has, um, is a very structured rollout. Or whether it's in terms of supporting people in terms of how they can work from home, as well as also doubling up our thought leadership efforts as well. So we have, we have actually produced more than two times the number of thought leadership pieces in a regular year. Uh, where we focus a lot more of our topics on helping our clients navigate through the crisis. I think we're placing our efforts and our resources in the right areas. And like everyone else, we're hoping for a positive, even if it's a slow recovery uh, right now. And I think we're starting to see some green shoots, you know, little bits of green shoots right now <laughs> after, after the lockdown was lifted. And we are, you know, uh, businesses are opening up and all. But I think just proceeding with caution, but we're keeping a close eye on how things are evolving as well. Yeah, but right now, I think the reason why it hasn't been so, um, the communication hasn't been so focused on all cards and furloughs and all, is not that uh, we are super, super humans, you know. But um, I would say we're not absolved from all the effects that everyone else is facing. Uh, but I think we would like to plan ahead and plan properly for the mid to longer term before, you know, we, we start taking short-term actions. What do you think the new normal will be like for agencies? I would say that agencies will still want to, you know, spend quite a bit of time uh, working together collaboratively, you know, in person to do uh, certain tasks that are better done still in person. So I would say some level of brainstorming, some level of pitch discussions and, you know, uh, those kind of dynamics I think will continue. But um, agencies will find ways to go about their operations to focus a lot more on things that matter to the clients. So if we're able to offer the same kind of high value uh, service and uh, strategic counsel to clients without having to, to spend a lot of the resource and time and cost on uh, commuting up and down, I think um, a lot of customers are very, very open to looking at the way um, uh, and looking at working with agencies in new ways. You know, um, mm -hmm. that means we, we reduce um, all the unnecessary uh, out-of-pocket expenses to, and all these savings can be on pass to clients as well because you have structured your team in a much more efficient manner, more centralized and more focused on the services that will make a difference to their business um, and less on just pure high volume, numerous and endless number of long half-day meetings, you know. So we're able to squeeze a lot more into power-packed and shorter hours. Uh, and I think that clients will expect to see how that can be done and translating that into a kind of savings for them as well so that they can also be able to afford to work with agency partners without having to burn a hole in their pocket, especially during these tough times. 
And I also think clients would want to look at more performance-driven uh, remuneration models as well, where um, the shape or the model of our partnership with them, regardless of whether you're offering media or creative or whatever, you know, um, solutions to them, that, uh, you know, I don't think they would be looking at just paying fees for you to perform uh, just a fixed scope of work. But increasingly, they would want agencies to put the money where the mouth is and to tie, I would say, um, a reasonable percentage of our income to their business performance as well. And you will see more and more of that coming up. Going back to your point about cost, okay, one of the things that goes into cost are pitches. With the time and investment required, do you think pitches are still important in this economy? Um, yes, um, I think pitches are the lifeblood of the industry. Okay, so yes, they are important. What I think is not welcome by all agencies, right, is that if clients are pitching out businesses simply and entirely focus only on driving cost savings, because if that's the only objective, then it just becomes a bloodbath of you know the lowest. How low can you go, right? Lowest, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, you know, quote wins, you know, regardless of, you know, strategic input or the quality of the talent. So I would say that clients will be more selective about pitches now. Um, they will really focus on if the relationship is going well and things are, are going well and they just need to look at a more efficient way to run the account so that there can be some savings produced. I think most clients would veer towards uh, negotiating with existing partners rather mm-hmm. than to go through the whole burden you know, of organizing a pitch. I think being selective about the pitches that we participate in and, and understanding what the clients want um, behind holding that pitch is really important. Um, but for agencies, it's a new challenge as well because now we're tasked to pivot to remote pitching um, and we need to show uh, and build chemistry and show our capabilities in a virtual setting where a lot of the physical nuances could be lost. Mm -hmm. So I think it's time for everyone to be trained in how you can still stand out in a virtual pitch. What is one change you hope to see in the agency scene post-crisis? Actually, the biggest change that I would love to see is for the industry to really be a lot more unified, right? I think Mm -hmm. um, uh, why I say this is I think, you know, while, while we all compete with one another, and I know it's inevitable, right, uh, that we have to because, you know, uh, business is harder now, right? But I think we could do a lot more to stand together uh, and to work collectively for the greater good of the industry. So be it in terms of um, whether we should push for pitch fees, whether we should push for, um, you know, what's the right way to treat um, agencies or the right ways to conduct pitches or be it even boycotting for example, a really horrible and infamous client, mm-hmm. for example. You know, uh, I don't think we have seen such courage yet. Uh, maybe I think at an individual um, uh, company level, right, or an individual leader level, uh, there are, you know, um, uh, people who, who, who have the courage to, to stand up to wrong things or the wrong way of treating um, uh, their team or their, or their company. But I think uh, as a collective body, uh, we are still fairly fragmented as compared to other parts of the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think especially during, during times like this, where, where we don't want agencies to be taken for a ride, we also do not want uh, the, the smaller uh, agencies to uh, you know, run out of business you know, and, and not be able to, to continue to sustain their operations, right? So it's like, what can we do collectively to 
to help one another and to look out for one another because the industry is already small mm-hmm. and it's, it's already interlinked, you know, and it's already undergoing a lot of challenge. So if we, if we you know, stand together um, uh, and stand for the right things together, I believe there will be you know, positive effects that uh, you know, even our next generation of talent would be able to benefit a lot from and build upon. What are some skills you think agencies need moving forward? In terms of the hard skills, right, there, there really is no um, fixed checklist uh, anymore in a post-COVID world. Okay, so, you know, gone are the days when we say, hey, if I get certified in digital marketing, I'm going to ace it, you know, in my career. Or with COVID, I think the lesson that, that everyone has been taught is that the, the, the world keeps changing and even something that is booming at one point in time you know with a simple uh with the injection of one of of a, of a virus and a pandemic you know mm-hmm. the everything has been turned on its head okay and everyone is forced to make changes to pivot to adapt uh learn new skills uh, remodel their business so i think that being quick thinking and to have a very survivor mentality is almost critical you know to the survival of all agencies you know of all shapes and sizes and everyone should just throw away their concept of I need a job description, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a JD. You know, I only do this thing, and then this part I don't do because I'm not paid to do it. You know, or uh, I don't have the skills to do this. I'm not trained to do that. Right now, I think if people in the industry are gainfully employed and still given the opportunity to work uh, and do good stuff for their clients, right? The ability and the willingness and the posture of being willing to take on new, new skills, uh, learn it if you, if you don't already know it or if you don't, um, uh, you've never done this before, go try it for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that kind of mentality is what everyone, you know, from senior to junior will need to adopt uh, in order to thrive in this, in this, what we call the new normal, right? Um, yeah, I, I would think that that's, that's really more, more critical than just focusing on pure digital or, or data. And of course, the other, the other uh, skill that I think is important is being able to marry everything that, that we recommend or that we want the clients to buy into to a kind of business outcome. Because clients themselves are challenged right now more than ever to put uh, a justification for every dollar that goes out of the door. <laughs> so, you know, I think uh, it has always been an age-old challenge, right? Because not every single thing can be linked back to a direct conversion. And I'm not um, suggesting that we should only be focusing on lower funnel conversion work. Yeah, uh, it's a combination of, of brand building, you know, upper funnel work, lower co- uh, funnel conversion, uh, as well as, you know, data tracking. But I think if we have the mindset of running a business ourselves, we would then be in a much better position to, to understand what clients want from us. Thank you for listening to Marketing Connected. I am your host, Janice Tan, and we will be back next week with another session. If you wish to learn about innovation and digital transformation for your business, visit our webinars page at webinars.marketing-interactive.com. Once there, you will have a whole range of topics to choose from which will best aid your business needs. The Marketing Connected series is produced by Marketing Interactive.